This is a special time, of course, the, the season time, and today we are going to kick off our brand new Christmas series, which I am personally very excited about. And, and if I'm going to be honest with you, friends, um, I'm a little bit nervous about this topic. I'll tell you why. We're talking about a topic that I don't really consider myself very big on, right? How many, how many of you people want to go give a lecture on nuclear science? Anybody? That's kind of how I feel this morning. Um, Pastor John had inspiration, and brother, I tell you, you were right on. I'm, I'm right there with you. Inspiration about this idea of unshakable joy. Can somebody say unshakable joy? I mean, I'm looking around the room, and I, I can see some of you folk like this guy right down here. He looks like he needs some unshakable joy. Sean, tell Steve, you got unshakable joy, brother? Yes, he does. I know he does unshakable joy. And I tell you, I'm nervous about this and I feel like I'm giving a lecture on nuclear science because when I examine my life and I'm being really honest with myself, I don't know that I'm all that good all the time at unshakable joy. But after today, Pastor John, I'm praying the Lord is going to energize me and awaken within me joy that is unshakable. Can anybody use some? Some joy that's not contingent upon how we feel when we wake up in the morning. How about some joy that isn't shaken when we lose the job or the society goes to... Yeah, you got, I'm, I'm in the house, right? I mean, in this society, in this culture, this political and economic culture, I mean, this is historic times and you know what happens in historic times? Historic things happen in the realm of the kingdom of God too. Church, and I'm looking for some historic things to start today with unshakable joy. We are all familiar with the Christmas story, I'm sure, living in, in the West like we do. We're familiar with the, with the wise men and the donkeys and the frankincense and, and the myrrh. Anybody know what frankincense is, by the way? Anybody? I know somebody's got to know. Tell me. Tell me. Incense. That's actually what the word means. It's franken, which means valuable, and sense, which is valuable incense. And even today, this whole idea of frankincense and myrrh, it is valuable even in today's society. But you know what? Who wants to talk about frankincense and myrrh when we're trying to talk about uh, un unchangeable joy, unshakable joy? Uh, frankincense and myrrh don't fit in that thing, so let's, let's talk about the nativity, right? Isn't that what Christmas is all about? We see Jesus in the manger, and we've got the donkeys and the wise men and, and all that thing. I'll tell you what, my wife loves Christmas, so I was blessed by one of the people in our church to actually go to Israel in 2010 and just walk around the, the place where Christmas happened, where the nativity happened. And it was an incredible, wonderful time, 10 day tour. And, and so I'm thinking, my wife loves Christmas. I gotta do something to help my wife enjoy Christmas and maybe have a little piece of this um, trip that I took, even though she wasn't there. So I had this bright idea that I would get her a nativity scene. Anybody have a nativity scene? 
Anybody have like the real big ones with the, and you put in the front yard or the, the ones you put in front of the Christmas tree? That's what I was going for. I was going for like one of those, I don't know, a foot, two foot, put right in front of the Christmas tree and everybody gets to enjoy it. So I actually found a shop where they carved nativity scenes out of olive from the Mount of Olives. That's where the wood comes from and that's why they call it the Mount of Olives. So I actually brought a couple of my pieces here to, to show you now. Now, there was a young lady who was here for the first time. She looked to be about 13 or something. Now, this is worth the price of admission just by itself. Is, is anybody excited to see what hand-carved olive nativity pieces look like? Here you go. Can somebody see that? You see that? Here's the camel. See, look at how intricate that is. You know, I, I've always wondered if this is really hand-carved. The guy gave me this big story about the back shop and people were with tools. And, and I'm thinking, come on, man, you bought that on Alibaba. You doubled it. And you're... <laughs> but I'm just going with it. it they told me hand-carved olives. So this is, this is what hand-carved olive looks like. I know the donk, or that the camel is, is smaller than the man. I... I never really understood that, but. <laughs> so there we have the, the part of the nativity scene. We actually moved, and, and these pieces were very easy for me to get to. So, But you know what? If Christmas is just about donkeys and nativities and, and fun times and, and get-togethers, um, I think we're missing the point. We're at least not getting all of the point. Well, in this four-part series, what we want to do is we want to unpack the deeper implications of the Christmas story. We want to uncover the enduring everyday impact of Christmas. You know what? Have you ever gone to one of your favorite movies and you hear all about it and it's in the paper, it's on TV and this movie is just supposed to be great and you're really looking forward to it. You, you get the popcorn, you get the soda or the water, whatever you like, you're sitting down to the movie. 20 minutes in, you get up, you get out and say, oh man, I just, I just really love that movie. You know, it just, it wasn't really as satisfying as I had hoped it would be, but I really did enjoy it. Well, what happened, church? You can't leave the movie after 20 minutes, can you? And, and if we come to the Christmas story and we stop at donkeys, uh, frankincense and myrrh, and mangers, we've really left the movie only 20 minutes in. Church, will you come with me today as we look behind the scenes of that whole manger scene? And given these times... Sometimes this idea when we're facing the, the serious issues that we're facing today, and even in the holiday season, the fact that a lot of people don't enjoy the holiday season is not lost on me. So we're with you, and we want to see what does all of it mean? What does it matter to me today? How do I experience unshakable joy? Is this some church jargon that we just throw around and we pull out because, yeah, I heard it before, it sounds good, and it's what I'm supposed to say? Or is it something that's deep within me, that's welling up and real, that people around me can notice, and it's actually contagious? That's what I believe the Lord has for us today. When you study for a series or a message, as probably many of you know, you learn things yourself when you do that, don't you? I have learned more 
studying this topic that I was not really prepared to study and really, I learned more and I am excited that I believe the Lord is gonna change my life because of this truth that we're gonna take a look at today. So given these times, we need something steady. We need something unshakable. We need something that isn't just words on a book or something that a preacher says. The ladies are doing a study with Ann Voskamp, and it was very interesting that I just happened to run across this quote, Cindy, from Ann Voskamp. Yeah, and, and I actually ran into the word Eucharisto, if you can believe me. Now, some of the ladies heard about Eucharisto. It's actually in here, so it's kind of weird, right? Like maybe the Lord is trying to, trying to say something to all of us. Here's what Ann Voskamp says about joy. She says this, joy is the realest reality. It's the fullest life, and joy is always given. It's never grasped, never grasped. The realest reality. Man, I believe it. In these times, every one of us feels shaky once in a while. We feel, man, is there somebody at the wheel? You know, Lord, I, I know the promises, I know the promises, but every once in a while, it seems like the leaves and the trees are blowing a little more than they, than they should. Well, I wanna tell you, church, don't let shaky scare you because the Christmas story has implications that come to today and God crafted a plan that is the antidote to shaky. Will you go with me to Luke chapter number two this morning, church? We are looking at the Christmas story in Luke chapter number two, we generally read from the NIV, and if we change that, we will always let you know. So Luke chapter two, verse number eight, here is what Dr. Luke had to say. He said there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Can somebody say all the people? Great joy for all the people. You know that word in the Greek, I like to do that once in a while, look at the original words and that kind of thing. The word for all in the original language from which it was translated is the word pas. Anybody know if we look into a deeper, more all-encompassing meaning, what that word might mean? All, amen, thank, somebody's with me back there. All means all, you can't get any more. And I wanna tell you, if you're listening to my voice today, church, this is for you, great joy for all the people. Somebody needs to say, God, this is for me. Somebody needs to say it in your heart. Somebody needs to say it to somebody else. Great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. Let's pray together today. Lord, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we are grateful for your spirit. We are grateful for the wonderful people that are joining us here today, oh God. And Lord, I pray that you would, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would bypass just the frailties of human communication and intellect and egos. And Lord, speak to us today, Lord. We need it. We need joy. All of us need joy today, Lord. We trust you. 
lead us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So what I want to know is when we throw this word joy around, I think before we talk about um, how do we get it, how do we maintain it in, in the difficult times, we have to talk about what it is. So, you know, if we're looking for something, we got to know what we're looking for, don't we? Anybody, I, I, know that when, I know that when speakers do this, everybody's like, man, are you kidding me? I'm not going to raise my hand and, and talk. But we'll do it anyways, just for fun. We're all friends here, right? We're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to make any fun. What is joy? Anybody? Maybe one or two, one or two words. Anybody? Everybody's, everybody's uh, uh, tentative because you know the guy's just going to contradict you, right? I'm not contradicting anybody. What do you think? Anybody? Joy. Family. Oh, I like, I like the way you went with that. I say, I say yes. I say joy can be in family. And I think as we go along, you'll see it's true. Anybody else? What is what is joy? Peace. Peace. Nice. Very nice. And stress-free, somebody said. Anybody else? I mean, I mean, man, I'm hearing them all at once now, boy. You guys are great. Tell me. Contentment. Contentment. I love it. Aren't all of these things manifestations of joy in our life, right? Of course they are. Now, I want to I give you the words of a great theologian. Now, are you ready? We have a great modern theologian who's going to tell us all about what joy is. Oprah Winfrey said, (laughs) of course, this is not a great theologian. And I picked this Oprah Winfrey quote on purpose. Just hang with me, okay? Just hang with me. So here's what she said. She said, I define joy as a sustained sense of well-being and internal peace. I can totally go along with it so far. I can totally go along with it. And here's what she said that's important. Here's what she said that's important that we're going to latch on to today. It's a connection to what matters. Joy is an internal sense of well-being, peace, and it's a connection to what matters. We're not looking to Oprah Winfrey for the church today. Can I just? I mean, any preacher could have said that on any Sunday they were talking about what joy is, okay? Oprah Winfrey just happened to stumble on something really cool. But I tell you what, here's where we differ. If we had Oprah tell us, okay, Oprah, what really matters? What is the thing, the the source of this joy. What is the thing that really matters? I'm willing to bet that Oprah and us would probably disagree on that topic. And of course, of course we would. Here's what it says in Luke 2.10. Let's just take a look at this for a second. Luke 2.10. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. The word there, joy, is the Uh, Greek word chara, chara, or kara. It is used 59 times in the King James Version of the New Testament. So it's it's actually a very, very important theme, the word kara. And here's what kara means if you dig into it. And now we're going to see what is the connection. What is the anchoring point from which our joy is fed? Now here's where all of us could be saying Man, I'm hanging on this because I know joy can be fleeting 
for me. I know it's, it's not an everyday reality that it's an unshakable thing. Man, let's, let's put this in paper. Let's write this in the, on the tables of our mind. Here's what it is. Joy is grace recognized. And I want to say that again. I will change your life. I promise. This is the thing that matters. Oprah wouldn't tell you this, okay? Oprah wouldn't tell you that grace is the thing that we need to look to with eyes of faith. Grace is the thing. Joy is grace recognized. The word kara literally means to lean towards or to be favorably disposed to, to have an awareness of God's grace and favor in my life. Do you have an awareness of the grace of God in your life? Isn't it interesting that it didn't say anything about having the good circumstances, did it? It didn't say, man, the joy's unshakable unless you're not feeling well. And I know that there are people in here who wake up every day in pain, who literally are looking forward to when they have to go back to bed. There are people in here who have been betrayed. People in here who have lost houses, lost loved ones, lost marriages, lost hope, lost hope. Looking to grace as your source of unshakable joy is not contingent on any of those things. Now, that's easy for me to say today, right? It's easy for me to say standing here and, and talking about it, but when the rubber meets the road, it's, it's not always that easy. But it can grow, church. It can get bigger. It can become more real if we practice it. Did you ever think that joy meant that, man, maybe I gotta do something? Maybe there's, maybe there's something in my life that I need to latch onto and hook up with. Church, I want to tell you it's the grace of God. The grace of God will fill you with a joy that will surpass every negative situation. The grace of God, when you are in it, and man, I'm telling you, there have been some times that um, Libby and I have gone through it, like everyone in this room, everyone in this room. And I'll tell you what I didn't do in those times. I didn't always look to the grace of God that was shown in my life. Because the grace of God isn't contingent on any external factor, which means the joy can never be removed. And the joy can be experienced in any situation. Kara, an awareness, joy, an awareness of God's grace and favor. So do you see that with that definition, grace is a byproduct, isn't it? It's not the main product. It's not the thing that was sought. The thing that was sought was the thing that matters. The grace of God is the thing we seek. God's favor in our life. God leaning toward us with a smile. That's the thing we ponder. That's the thing we keep close to our heart. When everything is going to hell in a handbasket around me, I can always look to God and say, Lord, you loved me. You proved it with the donkeys in the manger. 
looking to the grace of God and joy welling up as a byproduct of God's work in our hearts. What does that mean? That means we have to have a real relationship with God through Jesus. Here is the message in one sentence. If you were just going to take one thing out of here to help you remember something. Ooh, we are really behind schedule here. We have to kick it into second gear, Pastor John. Either that or we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to beat the Baptists to lunch this time. All right, you know I'm teasing my Baptist friends. Gary, don't throw rocks. Here's the message in a sentence. Joy, joy is a grace-filled life. This is what joy is. Joy is a grace-filled life. Joy, as we saw, kara, it actually derives from another word, it's a cognate in English. A cognate is a word that comes from another word. And so grace is related. It's a blood relative to this word. Check it out. Charis. Kara. Charis. You know what charis is? It means grace. It means grace. The word joy, church, literally comes from, is birthed from, is drawn from the word grace. And if we want that joy in our lives, it has to come from, it has to be drawn from grace. Grace. And we're going to talk about how we do that and what that looks like if you guys don't mind missing lunch. And it's a cognate. So it's, not, it's also related to a couple of other words, which I want to tell you about. The word rejoice is caro, rejoice. We are rejoicing because of grace. Caro, Eucharisto for you ladies who, who so enjoyed that. Now, I know I'm going to get this wrong, Cindy. I know that whoever was teaching that class, and I heard they were outstanding. I know I'm going to get this wrong. Eucharisto, it literally means thankful for grace. Thankful for grace. It's one, one way to say it. I don't want to mess up any of you ladies. I don't know what they, they taught anyways. But Eucharisto, so all four of those very major biblical themes derive from charis, or grace, grace. Church, does this, man, I, I guess I'm just a nerd. I, I, just, I just love to think about those words and those ties and, and to think, God, I never saw that connection before. I always thought of grace as, or joy as happiness, a happy feeling, a positive feeling. Do you know with this definition that I have just given you that, grace, that joy is a grace-filled life? Do you know with that that you can be going through it and still enjoy it? That you can have on your face this kind of a look and still be filled with joy on the inside because we're full of grace. We're full of grace, not contingent in, in any way on the things that are going on around us. So how do we, how do we reconcile unshakable joy and experiencing unshakable joy with these realities of 
suffering and, and pain? Does this mean I'm like supposed to put on a happy face, right? Is that what it means? I'm afraid sometimes I do that, you know, when I come into church, right? We, we, we sing that, that one song, it says something about I'm not afraid to let you see my weakness. I'm not afraid, right? Show you my weakness. But you know what? I'm certainly not afraid to show God my weakness. Honestly, I don't want to show you guys my weakness, though. Put on a happy face. We're going to talk about that church. Oh, man, we're having fun today, brother. We're having fun today, yeah? Oh, I wasn't looking for that, believe me. Check, check, out, this, check out this passage in Isaiah, okay? Here is... One of the passages, the Old Testament passages, that is actually looking toward who Jesus was. In Isaiah 53, 2 and 3, see if you can relate, okay? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised, rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. When I think of Jesus, and I've studied him my whole life. Man, I learn something new all the time. I don't think of the guy that's going around doing this. I think of a real guy. I think of an honest guy. But I think of a guy who most certainly experienced unshakable joy. In the middle of people hiding their faces from him. Come on, who's walked into a room and people hid their faces from you? Come on, who knew you deserved better? But people held you in low esteem. Didn't recognize your gifts, your talents. Didn't recognize what you brought to the table. You were always the silent one. Despised and rejected yet. Settled joy. Because I know this isn't the end. I know it's not the end of the story. I know I'm still in the first 20 minutes of the movie, man. There's 40 or 45 or 50 minutes left. Joy is a grace-filled life. C.S. Lewis said this, into the void of silence, into the empty space of nothing, the joy of life is unfurled. It's unrolled like a, like a, a sail so that it can catch the wind. Into the void of silence, into the empty space of nothing, the joy of life is unfurled. Now I want to look behind the scenes. Don't you wish you could with this whole manger thing, with these guys and the, and the baby and the cows and the wise men and the gifts and the frankincense, don't you wish you could see what happened maybe three, four hours before that? Three, four, I know Jesus was probably a little bit older, but what I'm talking about is before Christ came to the earth. Don't you wish you could see what was going on in heaven, what was going through the mind of God before he came in and said, hey, this is me, this is, this is God, this is what God looks like, this is what God character looks like, this is what a grace-filled life 
looks like, don't you wish you could just see what he might have been thinking? Well, guess what? Go with me to Philippians chapter two. We absolutely can because Philippians chapter two tells us what was going through the mind of God before Jesus was birthed into the manger. Wow, that's, that's exciting, isn't it? All right, check it out. Go with me, guys. Philippians chapter two, verse 11. We're gonna put on our seatbelts and we're gonna just move a little bit here, okay? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says this now. Stay with me, church. In your relationships, now we're getting down to it. Now we're starting to see, does this thing affect today at all? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now we're gonna get into what was the mindset of Christ, okay, before the first incarnation or the Christmas story, man. Here it is. Who, verse number six, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant, it's talking about that baby in the manger, and ultimately his whole life as a human being. He took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness and found an appearance as a man, come on now, stay with me. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, the word, the word um, uh, gar, looking back, because that's true, because he humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Now let's take a quick look at what Christ did before he came into the manger. Boy, what a Christmas story, man. Philippians chapter 2, 6. He did not consider... Equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. That word, something to be used to his own advantage, it means divine equality, because Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Divine equality wasn't something that he had to have. It wasn't something that he had to retain at all costs. I mean, come on, church. We're trying to start a church here, right? We got something going. God's doing something, Pastor John. But I'll tell you what, if I'm Jesus and I'm going to start a church, that's what he did, right? That's what he did. I'm Jesus, I'm going out to start a church. I'm keeping all those God attributes. I, I, I don't know about you, that, that kind of stuff would come in handy starting a church, don't you think? You know, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, right? I'm keeping all those. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped because his power source was something completely different. It was love. It was humility. It was something that every one of us can experience whenever we want. And as a result, experience the grace of God. This is what brings the grace of God into your life, church. He didn't consider equality with, well, I can't, I can't grasp equality with God. Well, there's lots of things we can grasp to maintain, a, to get a good reputation, to, to get an advantage, to, you know, I can, put a, I can put a doctor in front of my name, right? That's gonna get me, man, just gotta get me something else, right? Pastor John? I mean, maybe one of those ho-hos back there, something that you like so much? He does not like ho-hos, that is un-Christmas of me, I promise. 
Philippians 2, 7, now check it out. He made himself nothing, the word kinu, to be emptied of recognition and to be perceived as valueless. This is what is going on in the mind of God as he's coming in to save humanity. He made himself nothing in the mind of those he came to save, valueless, completely unrecognized. I was walking through Safeway the other day and I had my mask on and I was just minding my own business. I ran into three people in about a one minute trip into Safeway. Whoop, whoop. I ran into three people. Hey, pastor, got the mask on like this. And man, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. Man, I liked that. I liked that somebody recognized me. I, I don't know if it was a pride thing because they called me pastor, or if it was just good to be seen and recognized. It might've been completely innocent, but I know me stripping myself and making myself the low one, the unrecognized one, making myself of no reputation. That's a tough one. But that is what the Christmas story is all about. Lowered himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. And if you think that making yourself of no reputation, the lowest one on the totem pole, isn't some kind of death. Oh boy, you never tried it, I promise. Took on the form of a servant and humbled himself. Man, who in the house just needs a little unshakable joy? church and I know when you're going through it and it feels like the waters are rising above your head and the sharks are coming up behind you and you're just, you're just feeding them as fast as you can hoping that the last one's going to eat you not the one that's with you now. I mean, I know what that feels like, church. This is how we look to grace. Church, will you, will you humble yourself? Are you willing to take on the form of a servant? Man, that's a kind of, I mean, I thought this was about Christmas and gifts, man. I thought, I thought you were gonna give me, church, I'm giving you something. I'm talking about joy here. I'm talking about what it says, that it is joy for all men, for all men, for every man, for every woman, for every child, unspeakable, unshakable joy that isn't anchored to your circumstances. Joy that is anchored to a much surer foundation, church. Joy that is anchored to the very grace and power and omnipotence of Almighty God. Church, I want to tell you, if your joy tank feels a little low, and we know when it does, you've got to look to grace. Man, I know we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do that. i got to get my happiness back. i got to get my peace back. Look to grace. And you know what will happen when you're humbling yourself before the Almighty God? What will happen to you is you'll start to, start, you'll start to see, man, I'm feeling the presence of God in my heart. I don't know what happened. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket around me, but it just seems like it's going to be okay. Now, we love you, 
church, I wanna, wanna pray for you. But before I do, I want us each just to take a moment. You know, I'm not gonna ask anyone to raise their hands and if you're at home and you're watching and man, this thing translates over the miles and miles and miles. And if you're at home watching, man, just join us in this. If your joy tank is a little bit low, as we pray, as we pray, man, just throw up the white flag, would you? Just throw up the white flag. It's about surrender. That's what humbling is, church. And that's what the Christmas life, or the, the Christian life and the Christmas life, I guess. That's what it's all about, continuously taking on the form of a servant. Not easy to do certainly is a kind of death. It seems like an oxymoron. You mean, I gotta lose something to get something? Well, that's kind of the way, that's kind of the way this thing works. Let's pray together and believe God for unshakable joy. Lord, man, I know this topic, God, is way bigger than any of us can really get our head around, but God, I know you have the ability to speak what every heart needs to hear today. Lord, I pray, my God, as hearts and lives are bowing a knee to the almighty King of the universe, grace and joy is welling up today, oh God. Oh, let it be so, God. I pray that you would fill every heart, every life, every home with an awareness of your grace that joy might abound this season that's not determined by anything going on around us. Lord, we believe it. We trust your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. After we leave here today, I want you to know that we have some people down here that would love to pray with you. If it's time for you to pray with somebody, you want to you wanna humble yourself, you want to pray about something, you want some joy, come on down and and pray with each other. If next week, Pastor John is going to be back with part two of our Unshakable Joy series. Church, go in the grace of God in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you.